0: On today's episode of Thin Air Podcast...
1: Uh, God only knows, you know, there is so much now tied up in North Korea, it's become one of the hot spots in the world. It, you may think of the mess that creates if you have an American citizen
2: being held by
1: you know, that derelict Kim Jong-un. He's despotic, he's dangerous, and everyone knows this, but how do you, what do you do? How do you extract an American?
0: Hello and welcome to Thin Air Podcast. Today's episode is part two on David Snedden, who went missing from China in 2004. If you haven't listened to part one, I would highly recommend that you go back and do that now. Two weeks ago, we told the story of how he went missing, the context, the places, and his family's journey to find evidence in his case. We interviewed James Sneddon, David's brother, and George Bailey, David's roommate in China and the last person who knew him to see him before he went missing. Today's episode will focus on the evidence that David Sneddon is currently being held by North Korea after being abducted while traveling in China. This episode will make so much more sense if you listen to the previous episode. Today's episode of Thin Air Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible. We are so excited that our friends at Audible are fans of our show. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com/thinair. Once you're there, you can explore their incredible collection of audiobooks and then you can download one of your very own for free with a 30-day free trial. So to do it, what are you waiting for? Head on over to audible.com/thinair. Thin Air is also supported by our amazing donators over at Patreon.com thinair We are in the process of rolling out our Patreon rewards for our donators, and last Monday marked the release of our first mini-episode, which is a Patreon exclusive. There's other rewards too, including episode transcripts and more to check it out head on over to patreon.com/thinair we love the support that we get from our listeners so if you want to get involved with thin air podcast head on over to patreon.com/thinair When 24-year-old American student David Snedden traveled alone to the Yunnan province in southern China in the summer of 2004, he probably wasn't too concerned about North Korea, the isolationist regime 1,700 miles northeast from the Tiger Leaping Gorge, where he had planned his hiking and sightseeing trip. His roommate, George Bailey, certainly didn't think that North Korea was a concern.
3: Not at all. I I certainly didn't have the amount of consciousness about North Korea that Dave may have. But it wasn't even something that he would really, you know, talk about. We, We talked about Led Zeppelin, about Huskers football, about our families, about our religion, and not really all that much about politics.
0: George and David might not have felt it, but the summer of 2004 was a highly contentious time for North Korea. That year, the totalitarian state faced a series of challenges and embarrassments. And these events, within the context of the David Sneddon story, provide strong circumstantial evidence that David, simply by being in the wrong place at the wrong time, was abducted by North Korea, never to be seen by his family or loved ones again. Today's episode is one of the most complex that we have ever attempted here at Thin Air Podcast, and we know that we have a lot of ground to cover. So, today's story will be presented in three parts. Part one, the evidence. Why his family and many others believe North Korea is even a possibility. Part two, David's life in North Korea. How he could be living and what that means for him and his story. And part three, bringing David home. If David is in North Korea, what would it take to get David back to the US? All of that and more on today's episode. Part 1. The Evidence The first piece of the puzzle has to do with the relationship between China and North Korea. And what David didn't know, or perhaps didn't feel the weight of was China's role in the North Korean refugee crisis.
1: We walked across the Kobe Desert, following a compass. When they start working, we followed the stars to freedom. I felt only the stars were with us. Mongolia was our freedom moment. Death or dignity. Under the knives, we were prepared to kill ourselves if we are going to be sent back to North Korea. We wanted to live as humans.
0: That's Yonmi Park, speaking in 2014 at the Young One World Conference about her and her family's escape from North Korea. In that speech, she describes how her and her mother traveled through northern China to Mongolia and eventually onto safety in South Korea. If you want to learn more about her and her family's incredible, heroic journey, check out her book, In Order to Live A North Korean Girl's Journey to Freedom. It's out now. China is not a safe place for North Korean refugees. China is North Korea's most powerful ally and refuses refugee status for those who escape into China. If North Korean defectors are caught, they are treated as illegal immigrants, and they are usually sent back to North Korea. If forced to return, they face severe interrogation, imprisonment, and death in either prison or re-education camps. As Yanmi said, they carried knives with them, choosing to die rather than to be sent back. Yunmi and her mother traveled on one of the routes North Korean escapees can take through China on what is known as their Underground Railroad. While Yunmi went north, many head south through China, hoping to cross over into less hostile countries like Vietnam, Laos, or Burma. This takes many North Korean refugees directly through the Yunnan province. David's brother James believes this is highly correlated to David's disappearance.
1: When you think about David being fluent in Korean fluent in Chinese, in a part of the country in China where many North Korean refugees escaped. You know, there's a lot of activity in that part of China with North Korea. David would have been a very curious person. He was a target of opportunity, we believe, and that's kind of what they confirmed.
0: But it wasn't just where David went missing, it was when. In 2004, the single largest mass defection of North Korean citizens infuriated the regime. In July of that year, just around a month before David went missing, 468 North Korean refugees were flown from Vietnam to Freedom in South Korea and had likely traveled through the exact area where David vanished. While these specific refugees would have been long gone by the time David set out on his trek in August, North Korea would have been actively involved in the area, keeping an eye out for escapees traveling south on the Underground Railroad, especially right after so many were freed.
2: Yes, there were operatives of the Underground Railroad in the area. We know also that there were agents of the North Korean regime in the area at the time. My name is Greg Scarladio. I am the executive director of the Washington, D.C.-based Committee for Human Rights in North Korea, HRNK.
0: In our last episode, we left off with a man named Chuck Downs calling the Snedden family in April of 2011 to tell them that David could have been taken by North Korea. Greg took over for Downs as the executive director of the HRNK.
2: Established 16 years ago, The Committee for Human Rights in North Korea is the only U.S.-based bipartisan organization tasked to research, investigate the North Korean human rights situation, and subsequently report on the North Korean human rights situation. Uh, Whenever the U.S. Congress, for example, uh, holds a uh, hearing on North Korean human rights, we are always invited to testify.
0: Chuck Downs, in his conversation with the Sneddens, spoke of much of the information we're discussing here today.
2: Of course, we have um, some testimony provided by the chairman of the Association of the Families of Victims Kidnapped by North Korea, Dr. Tsutomo Nishioka.
0: The testimony Greg is referring to here was given in May of 2012. Nishioka is the chairman of Narkin, a Japanese organization dedicated to helping Japanese citizens who have been kidnapped by North Korea. More on this important topic later, I promise. Mr. Nishioka released a report indicating that they received information from an anonymous source inside China that someone, an American student, had been arrested in August 2004 in Yunnan province by Chinese authorities.
2: He's the one who collected uh, testimony to the extent that uh, David may have been renditioned to North Korean agents by the Ministry of State Security of the People's Republic of China.
0: The statement reads, quote, In August 2004, an American student studying at a university in Kunming, Yunnan province, was arrested by agents of the Ministry of State Security of the People's Republic of China on charges of helping illegal residents. He was white and 23 or 24 years old at that time. The MMS said they released him in September 2004 because the Jace, which is phonetic, was coming to search for him. However, a Chinese girlfriend of the American is quoted as saying that he had not been released, but instead was handed over to five North Korean secret agents who had come to Kunming for surveillance of North Korean defectors, end quote. While the specifics of this report vary slightly from what we know of David, for example, he did not have a Chinese girlfriend and he wasn't studying at Kunming University, but was studying in Beijing, the Sneddons argue that this report is evidence of David's arrest and his abduction to North Korea. David was 24 years old, he was a student, And he went missing from the same area at the same time that this American, whose identity we do not know, was arrested. The reports also note that Jays, which is spelled J-A-I-S, was looking for him, which the Sneddens consider could have been James, meaning his brother, who did go to China searching for him in September of that year. Also noted in this report is that the suspect was arrested for helping illegal residents. Could these residents have been North Korean refugees on their way south? David spoke Korean, and he had also done his Mormon mission in South Korea. George noted that this background could have put him at risk, or at least suspicion, while he was traveling in the Yunnan province.
3: Now, when you know that Christian missionaries are helping North Korean refugees through China on their way to Southeast Asia, and then you hear that this kid was a Mormon missionary. You don't know the difference between a Mormon missionary and a, you know, a, a mainstream Christian missionary. You don't have a clue. It's going to be a question that's going to come up left and right, particularly at the point where David disappeared. Where did you learn Korean? For heaven's sake, you know, you're Caucasian. Neither Dave nor I were out there trying to preach Mormonism to Chinese. First of all, we were told explicitly, like, don't, <laughs> you know, that's that's a, a huge legal offense. At the same time, you know, you ask this question, where did you learn Korean? Well, you know, I learned it in in South Korea. I learned it as a missionary. Bam, Dave's tied kind of right there, uh, you know, to this identity.
0: If this report is true, doesn't this mean that the larger Chinese government could be directly involved with David's disappearance? Greg doesn't necessarily think so.
2: Many times things that happen in China are not necessarily known to the central authorities. Sometimes you're dealing with corrupt law enforcement, uh, rogue law enforcement. If an agent of the Chinese government was involved in something nefarious, it doesn't always mean that this was the result of deliberate policy issued from the center.
0: This report paints a picture of the way David could have been taken from Yunnan province. North Korean agents are in the area, patrolling the Underground Railroad after losing a record amount of escapees. David is in the area coincidentally, and as we know, would have been noticed. From there, he could have been targeted by North Korean agents suspected of potentially aiding defectors. The report indicates that this young American student was arrested by Chinese authorities, and soon after, in September, someone came looking for him, just as was the case with David. Maybe the local Chinese officials there were paid off for their silence, or maybe someone in China knows something more than they have admitted.
2: I suspect that there may be witnesses out there in China, witnesses who have been afraid to speak. But 13 years have passed. The circumstances have changed a little bit in China. I think that the best thing we can do is to publish as much as we can on the Snedden case and to publish his picture with every article that's put out there. Uh, My hope is that some of those witnesses who haven't come out of the shadows might see his picture and remember that they actually witnessed things that they've never spoken about.
0: George also thinks that some Chinese authorities may know more than they're saying.
2: You know, I remember talking with
3: one reporter and, and at the end, she just had a really hard time with the theory. And one of her reasons why was like, you know, how how would they get David out of there? And, you know, with the Chinese government, how would they allow that? And for me, my answer is actually quite simple. If you've got just Chinese police, man, you can bribe your way out of <laughs> anything. <laughs> you know, and and there is, let me tell you, there is a lot of bribery. It's a common practice. It doesn't need to be a higher up coordinated, you know, discussion between, you know, Xi Jinping or, or at that point I think it would have been John Zemin and uh you know Kim Jong il. You know, it just has to be like, holy cow, hey, check this out, man. This is perfect. American walks in, he's alone. <laughs> you know, he speaks Korean for heaven's sake. You know, let's snag this kid. <laughs> you know, David, David was exactly what they needed. And it was just a perfect storm. But why would
0: North Korea need someone like David Sneddon? There is another element to what George described as the perfect storm. It wasn't just that North Korea had the opportunity with the timing and the location. North Korea also had a motive. Something else happened to North Korea in 2004, a loss, something that gave them a need for someone exactly like David. And to understand that something, we need a story. And it's a story which nears its end on July 9th, 2004, again, around a month before David goes missing. On that day, three people leave North Korea never to return An American man named Charles Jenkins and his two daughters board a plane to Jakarta, Indonesia. There they would meet his wife and mother to the two girls, a Japanese woman named Hitomi Soga, who had left North Korea 18 months earlier. Charles and Hitomi had been prisoners of the North Korean regime for decades, until now. This was the first time Jenkins had seen the world outside North Korea in almost 40 years. In 1965, Jenkins, who was then an American soldier serving in the Korean War, left his post one night and defected into North Korea.
4: I will never tell no one why I went to North Korea. My wife don't even know.
0: That's Jenkins himself from a rare 2013 interview with an Australian news program called Late Line. Whatever his reasons were for defecting, he was quickly captured, indoctrinated, and forced to teach English, reportedly to North Korean spies. Jenkins had only been able to leave North Korea in 2004 because, a year and a half before this, in September of 2002, then-North Korean leader Kim Jong-il had come to the Japanese Prime Minister to make a bargain. North Korea had faced a terrible famine throughout the 1990s, and Kim Jong-il was looking for Japan's help, favor, and influence. In order to secure this aid, Japan had one important caveat. To admit that they had, as Japan had long suspected, abducted Japanese citizens and forced them to live in North Korea against their will. And that's exactly what Kim Jong-il did.
2: In
5: 2002, uh, Prime Minister Koizumi went to North Korea and met with Kim Jong-il.
0: That's author Robert Boynton, who wrote the book The Invitation-Only Zone, the true story of North Korea's abduction project.
5: And in uh, doing so, they worked out a deal whereby Kim Jong-il would admit formally to having committed these abductions, and in exchange for which uh, there will be all sorts of discussions of normalizing relationships, and, and Kim Jong Il hoped that uh, with that would come uh, money. Kim Jong Il admitted to having abducted 13 Japanese citizens, five of whom were still alive, and eight of whom had died in in strange circumstances. One of them. Uh, died from uh, suicide. Two of them were killed in a car accident. Another one suffocated in a gas leak. Uh, the very odd odd thing: one had a heart attack. I think the, the at the point was 35 or something like that. The Japanese official number for quite some time was 17. It was the 13 who the North Koreans uh, confessed to having taken, plus uh, some more. Uh, since then. The number has sort of swung wildly. There are some citizens' organizations who have been investigating this who claim that they're, you know, four, five, six, seven hundred. Uh, the government's official number is still, I think, around 17, though uh, it has uh, recently, uh, you know, said that it was open to the possibility that there were many, many more.
0: What exactly Kim Jong il said about these abductions was an apology of sorts to the Japanese prime minister. There's no verbatim English translation that I can find online, but according to a BBC article which was published at the time, Kim stated, The special forces were carried away by a reckless quest for glory. It was regretful, and I want to frankly apologize. I have taken steps to ensure that it will never happen again. End quote.
2: He denied responsibility at the highest levels. This is a um, totalitarian state. This is a state that has taken totalitarianism to the next stage. This is a post-communist, post-industrial, kleptocratic, dynastic regime. This is North Korea today. This is such a reclusive regime that does such terrible things to its own people. This is a regime that commits crimes against humanity, according to a UN Commission of Inquiry report, crimes against humanity pursuant to policies established at the highest level of the state. An operation of this type cannot be conducted without an order received from the very top. And we know that the practice of abductions began in 1950 with an order issued by Kim Il-sung himself, Kim Il-sung ordered that South Korean elites, representatives of the elites, intellectuals, doctors, lawyers, engineers and others be taken and brought to North Korea to build a new country and a new society. Unfortunately, many of them ended up dead at the bottom of the North Korean social hierarchy or in political prison camps.
0: In other words, North Korea has an extensive history of kidnapping foreigners, early on from South Korea, and then a large number from Japan. Boynton explains.
5: The Japanese abductions took place generally from the... Uh, mid uh, to late 70s and into the early 80s. Those are the ones that we know the most about. The word abduction, I think, has to be understood in all of its various uh, colors. Abduction is everything from, on the one end, the most brutal form of abduction, being uh, hit over the head, having your mouth and taped up and your arms and uh, legs restrained and thrown into bags and put into boats. And on the other end of the spectrum, you know, being told you are uh, being offered a job, uh, whether in North Korea or in China, and it's a very uh, lucrative job. And then you get there and and realize you're either not in China or you're in North Korea and you you, you can't leave. And, you know, that's a form of abduction as well. And I think that that range has to be uh, taken into consideration when people were abducted, not only from different places, but with different modes they were uh, quite randomly chosen Uh, people were often grabbed off of beaches uh, grabbed uh, away from say lovers uh, lanes rarely were there people taken for specific skills or specific uh, characteristics there's one uh, case of one of the early abductees a man named Hara who was abducted primarily because he had no real social status he had no family, he had no kids, he wasn't married, he didn't have a driver's license, he had never traveled, so he didn't have a passport. What was valuable about him was he was sort of a cipher, and a North Korean spy could, and in fact did, take his identity and then get a driver's license, a passport, all those things in his name.
0: Remember Hitomi Soga, the wife of Charles Jenkins? She was among these Japanese abductees. In 1978, she was a 19-year-old nurse living with her mother on Sedo Island off Japan's west coast. Both Hatomi and her mother disappeared from their home on August 12, 1978. They simply vanished. Both were gone without a trace to all who knew them. Her mother is never seen again, but Hatomi ends up in Pyongyang, the North Korean capital. There is this big question of, you know, why did they do it? And I think that there's a lot right. of answers to that question. But what do you think is there... Is there a main reason why they took these people?
5: I think there are several reasons, uh, but the, the the main reason I think was is the stated reason, which was they hoped to abduct these people, show them the glories of the North Korean revolution, and have them be so wowed by that that they would decide to stay and spy on behalf of the North Koreans. The problem with this, explanation is that it's it's just almost mind-numbingly difficult to get your head around.
0: In North Korea, Hitomi Soga eventually meets Charles Jenkins, the American defector, after he's asked to help her with her English skills. The two are married shortly after, on August 8, 1980. Hatomi is essentially given to Jenkins.
4: 38 days later, we got married because I told him the truth, told her the truth. You take me or you're going to take a Korean. You got no choice.
0: The couple would go on to have two children. Jenkins later wrote in his memoir, The Reluctant Communist, quote, I don't know what drove us together. On the face of it, we had very little in common. I do know that we were very lonely in a world where we were both total outsiders. And it took us a very short time to realize that we both hated North Korea. That gave us a strong common bond, end quote.
5: There was a lot of boredom and a lot of a lot of killed time, as you might imagine they uh, were training and giving language training uh, after they themselves learned Korean which was you know no small thing um, they were there was always a certain amount of study you had to study the works of Kim il-sung and you're you know constantly sort of working on that and there's a lot of political discussion groups so people are quite busy there's a lot of communal discussion. Uh, and confessions. You have these confessional sessions where you have to confess your crimes against the North Korean Communist Project. They were um, then employed primarily as translators for a while, where they would um, be given Japanese magazines, newspapers, reports of all sorts, and uh, material would be um, circled that they wanted translated. A lot of the material would be blacked out that they didn't want them to read, and they would prepare uh, translations of these materials for a kind of uh, internal newsletter that the elite uh, in North Korea would get uh these um articles translated from Japanese into, into Korean uh so that was a, that was a, the main part of of the the work they were doing for um, for a good part of their time there probably probably half or more of it they didn't really have much to do with ordinary north koreans there were drivers and cooks and people around who sort of helped them out they had minders, and these people were sort of somewhat ordinary North Koreans. Although you could say that that the fact that they were living in Pyongyang meant they were they were special in some way. But that was the, about as close as they got to to that. They, their 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 um, access to ordinary North Koreans was uh, uh, was uh, monitored.
0: And this is how they lived their lives until 2002, when Kim Jong Il admitted to the Japanese Prime Minister that these abductions did in fact happen. According to testimony later collected by Narkin, North Korea had allegedly abducted people from all around the world during this time, including Romania, Lebanon, Thailand, China, Malaysia, France, Italy, Jordan, and Singapore. But Kim Jong-il only admits to the Japanese abductions. And soon after, they were allowed to return home to Japan, in many cases being forced to leave their spouses and children behind.
5: In uh, 2001 and 2002, there were a series of secret negotiations. They were negotiating over uh, normalization of relations, and but one part of that was that they had to come clean about the abductions, because by that time it was pretty pretty much understood that at least some of Japanese had been abducted. No one knew whether they were still alive or not, or what had happened to them. In exchange for a visit by uh, Koizumi meeting Kim Jong Il, which was a very big deal for Kim Jong-il, it's because it fits into the narrative of, you see, the most important people in the world come to pay respects to me. That's how that's how it was played. As part of the negotiations, the abductees were supposed to be able to return to Japan for a two-week visit, and they were then going to come back to North Korea. Uh, now, the overall deal has never been exactly clear, but I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the full deal was that... The Japanese were supposed to come to Japan, um, stay two weeks, go back to North Korea, explain the situation to their children, and then eventually come back to Japan for good. Um, But the Japanese public was so outraged by the idea that now that they were finally back, and now that the Japanese public had been told and realized that they'd been lied to by their own government, the idea that they were then going to give them back to the North Koreans was just, just outrageous. And so they lobbied very hard uh, to get the the abductees to stay, and the abductees themselves were finally convinced to stay, uh, though they were very reluctant because their children were back in North Korea. And they. it wasn't until the prime minister swore to them, he said, I promise you I will get your children back, that they agreed to stay for good.
0: Hatomi lives in Japan without her family until July 9, 2004, when she tearfully reunites with them in Indonesia. The family eventually moves back to Hatomi's hometown on Sado Island. In the summer of 2004, when Charles Jenkins left North Korea, the regime lost an English-speaking asset one of its only native English speakers and teachers. And less than one month later, David Snedden went missing in China. The Japanese abductions and the subsequent admission by Kim Jong-il that these had in fact occurred is vital to understanding the context of the David Snedden story. It first establishes that North Korea has kidnapped foreigners in the past, foreigners who disappeared without a trace in the same way that David Snedden did.
2: These operations are conducted by um, intelligence professionals. They leave no trace behind, generally. To give you an example, a Romanian lady, Doina Bumba, was taken by the North Koreans from Italy in uh, 1978. It was only in 2007 that the family found out about their long-lost daughter. They had no idea that she had been taken by the North Koreans. Uh, She was simply a missing person.
5: This is exactly the situation that um, the Japanese found themselves in, the, the parents of the abductees 10 years into their abductions, they still didn't know what had happened. They were in exactly a parallel situation. And, you know, more than half of Japan was saying to them, Ugh, come on, get over it. He, he, they died or they eloped or something. You know, who knows what happened? And then they were all wrong.
0: What do you think are the odds that he was he is in North Korea now and was abducted or detained?
5: I, I don't know what the odds are. Um, I think that it, it's certainly possible. I'm, I'm skeptical in the way that I'm skeptical of any claim, which is purely circumstantial. That said, the people who who claim that Snedden was abducted are in exactly the same position as the relatives of the Japanese who were abducted. In those intervening years, Many of them were unshakably convinced that they had been abducted and had even been abducted to North Korea, and there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever to show for it. And they were right, and the skeptics were wrong. And I'm not, I'm not smug enough to say uh, that could never happen again, because we all know that something bizarre like that will happen again. <laughs> Uh, And again, all the reasons why people dismiss uh, this possibility of SNID and having been abducted, they're essentially rehearsing all the reasons that people uh, dismiss the Japanese abductions. Why would someone risk so much for so little? What could they possibly be doing there? What would the purpose of it be? And you know, as we saw with the Japanese abductions, uh, there are different forms of logic at work in North Korea than we can even imagine.
0: the previous abductions also establish a pattern and mode of thinking in North Korea, who currently have and continue to detain American citizens who visit the country.
5: There are three Americans who are being held right now. It's hard to say, oh, well, they would never take somebody. Well, they are taking people. They are de- and I do think that the way that North Korea will detain uh, visitors, is very much part of the logic of abduction. I, don't, I think you can make a straight line between the abductions and the policy of detaining people. Whether they would have abducted Snowden rather than,
2: say, detaining him uh, is really anyone's guess. Remember that North Korea criminalizes behavior that is perfectly normal elsewhere in the world. For example, one American was arrested because he had accidentally left behind a religious book, a Bible. Another American was arrested because he was unwise enough to speak about his war record he had, been, he had fought in the Korean War. In the case of the, the poor kid from UVA who was um, put on trial and imprisoned early last year, what he did would barely amount to a college prank. In North Korea, that's criminal behavior, and they gave him 15 years in a labor reeducation camp. This is a highly paranoid regime, and of course, it's a highly discretionary act, and obviously, yes, they do target Americans.
0: These abductions also helped provide us with a motive. Why North Korea would have taken David Snowden in the first place?
2: We know that it was on Kim Jong-il's orders that foreign nationals were being taken so that they may be forced to teach foreign languages and foreign cultures to North Korean intelligence operatives and so that those North Korean intelligence agencies could basically steal their identities and use them for agents they would deploy overseas. If you wanted to be close to flawless, fabricating someone's identity for intelligence collection or other nefarious purposes if you're the Kim regime, this is a fairly complex deal. So that's why they took all of these foreign nationals.
0: And in David Studden's case, do you think that's why he was taken for his foreign language expertise?
2: Well, this has been the case with uh, many other confirmed abductees. Uh, He spoke uh, English with a Midwestern accent, which I guess comes pretty close to uh, standard American English. He spoke Chinese. Uh, He spoke Korean. He was a linguist. And yes, linguists, when it comes to uh, abductions by the Kim regime, linguists have always been in high demand. It's a terrible thing to say.
0: James Snedden pointed out to us that there has been evidence that his brother's language training has been reportedly seen outside of the country, especially after Charles Jenkins left North Korea in 2004.
1: We had some folks from the Narkin, and and I think the State Department even confirmed that a few years after David's went missing, they had some interactions with with people uh, in North Korea, I think in Germany, I believe. Um... They kind of do these things, you know, back-channel, I guess, is the way they say it. They said that their English skills are markedly better now than they were the last, you know, 15, 20 years, where they were using a man named Jenkins, who was a defectee from the Korean War with a deep, deep Southern accent, to teach their operatives English. So, you know, it's hard for me to say, but my brother's being used to train terrorists.
0: These abductions help to provide us with some important circumstantial evidence of how David is living if he is in North Korea.
2: We know that initially there is a a process of indoctrinating and subduing the abductees. Uh, then they're engaged in, um, in this work of training, um, delivering foreign language training to um, North Korean intelligence agents um, Based on what we know from those we spoke to, those very few who managed to get out, the living conditions appear to be better than average. so in the in the bizarre world of North Korea, the regime looked after these abductees, perhaps not out of the goodness of their hearts, but because they were very precious assets. If David was indeed taken, in order to abduct an American young man from that part of China, the regime would have had to invest significant resources in this operation. Uh, This is no easy feat, so these are precious assets to the regime. They will look after them, and of course, some of the abductees are married.
0: Right after the break, we have part two. The next piece of the puzzle, a 2016 report citing evidence from a source in Pyongyang, which provided specific details of David's life, including, potentially, his wife and children. Join us after this quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to Audible for supporting Thin Air Podcast. For our audience... Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. Just go to audible.com thinair and browse their unmatched selection of audio content, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. After speaking with author Robert Boynton, I knew that I had to download his audiobook, The Invitation Only Zone, the true story of North Korea's abduction project. In the audiobook, you'll get a deeper understanding of these abductions, more about the context and history between Japan and North Korea. You'll hear in detail what life was like in the invitation-only zone, the aftermath of Kim Jong-il's astonishing admission, and what life was like for the abductees once they returned home. It's a fascinating, captivating listen, and I think it pairs perfectly with today's episode. So what are you waiting for? Get a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial over at audible.com/thinair one more time that's audible.com/thinair. Part 2: David's life in North Korea. The next big piece of information that we get happens on September 1st. 2016.
2: After more than a decade with his whereabouts unknown, a shocking new claim about an American student, David Snedden, who vanished while he was hiking in China.
0: A man named Choi Sun-yong, who is the president of the abductees family union in Seoul, South Korea, spoke to Japanese reporters regarding evidence from directly inside North Korea about David.
1: Mr. Choi kind of abruptly made a statement to the press there that said, he had received information from other North Koreans that David is indeed in North Korea. He's actually the personal tutor for Kim Jong-un, and he is married and he has two children.
0: The Washington Post summed it up as follows, that David Snedden is alive in Pyongyang. His Korean name is Yoon Bong-soo. He has a wife. Her name is Kim Eun-hae, and they have two children, a boy and a girl. Also noted by Choi is the motive for David's abduction. I'll quote from the article here. "Snedden was taken to Pyongyang because Kim Jong-il had given an order for his children, including the state's current leader, Kim Jong-un, to be tutored in English by a native speaker, someone who could also teach them about American culture, end quote.
1: What's interesting about Mr. Choi is... His own father, as I understand, um, was abducted by North Korea, and he's been helping North Korean refugees, and I think he's part of that, that effort to bring people back and probably, as I understand, to help people uh, come back to South Korea. Um, he's very tied into the community, is the point, and, he, and he's got a lot of good information. Um, Chuck Downs, who was the one that broke the story to us and has been kind of one of the experts in the arena for the U.S., uh he spoke with Mr. Choi, and he came back and told us, and he said he's willing to go on record, that all witnesses Mr. Choi had talked about are very credible, and he believes with certainty that Mr. Choi's account is accurate.
2: It's very difficult to verify, um, and when it comes to information collection when it comes to human to human intelligence in North Korea, I don't think that anybody has a flawless record. If you look even at the South Korean National Intelligence Service, which presumably has the best human intelligence inside North Korea, uh, sometimes they make mistakes. Uh, during these great purges, they mention a name and they, they claim that the person was executed and then the same person appears again at a public function. You know, this is just to say that sometimes it is not 100% possible to verify this information beyond any reasonable doubt.
0: Well How does information even get out of North Korea in the first place?
2: North Koreans have an official cell phone system. You cannot make international calls, but there are smuggled phones, sm- phones smuggled in from China. So you can basically just put the two together. Somebody outside North Korea calls a broker in the border regions on a a smuggled Chinese phone where he or she can have a signal, and then that person calls somebody inland where they only have a North Korean signal, but they call them on a North Korean cell phone. They put them together, and they have a live conversation. So there, there are even news organizations for example, Radio Free Asia here in Washington DC and in Seoul, um, Daily NK in South Korea, uh, Marim Jinggang in Japan, and several others uh, that have actually developed sources inside North Korea. There are North Korean escapees working for newspapers or radio stations, and they they have actually developed sources inside the country. Uh, this is not to say that North Korea is an open country. It is not. It continues to be the world's most reclusive regime. But there are sources, and some of these sources are reliable.
0: George pointed out the specificity of the information. And for him, that's what makes it credible.
3: The South Korean organization that's committed to finding this out has gone as far to reveal the name that David Snedden bears in North Korea, the name of his wife. The gender of his children, that's very specific information. Again, could they be making it up out of self-interest? Absolutely. You know, um, but is there any evidence to suggest, you know, that they're being untruthful? I don't think that there's any evidence of that.
0: If Choi is credible, that means that there is direct testimony from inside North Korea that David is in Pyongyang with a wife and family. As we know from the Japanese abductions, North Korea would marry off abductees and that they would have children. So if David was taken, it's a likely possibility. What's troubling to me, and I think many others, is that David must feel like he can't leave without his family, that he is now tied to North Korea, and what a heartbreaking tension he must feel.
1: You have to step back and think about motives on these things. And if you have a foreign nationalist being held against their will, and they're in a foreign place, well, you're you going to pair them because, one, it gives them some companionship. Two, if they begin to have children in the national course of life, well, they're not going to run away from a child. They're not going to leave their blood hanging in this country. So it's a, it's a great way to to keep people there.
2: One doesn't understand these bonds until you have your own. I I have two daughters of my own, and it's it's really hard to leave a spouse behind. It's really hard to leave children behind. It's really hard to put them at risk. Uh, He is facing a very different set of circumstances. 13 years is a very long time. Once perspective changes, if you live under circumstances defined by paranoia, surveillance, control, coercion, punishment. You're bombarded day in and day out with North Korean propaganda. He had his faith and his faith was strong. And I have no doubt that if David is in North Korea, he still has his faith. But so many other perspectives may have changed. And if he's indeed there, And he has a family now truly under the current circumstances that's the one and only, the most important thing to him, his family.
0: Choi's statement also helps clarify the conditions David might be living in. As a potential tutor to important people, including Kim Jong-un himself, it is likely that a person of that importance would be treated better than most and would not live in prison or poverty as many in North Korea do. This was the case for foreign abductees, who were later able to detail where they were kept and lived. And that was in an odd Orwellian community called the Invitation Only Zone, which is also the title of Boynton's book.
5: The Invitation Only Zone was essentially what we might call a gated community. It had barbed wire, things like that. Uh, There were guards at the entrance or entrances. Uh, This is not to say it was a prison camp. Um, Sometimes people think that they were thrown at the gulag. They were actually treated very well. And the other people who lived in the invitation-only zones were uh, other North Korean officials, uh, anyone who had access to unofficial outside information. So they were translators. They were uh, some government functionaries. They were um, some spies, people like that, and uh, in North Korea, the houses are fairly simple they 're usually one story uh cinder block uh, they uh, have about uh four or five rooms um you know they 're very simple affairs. They have a garden in the back where everyone tries to you know grow some some extra food up until the mid nineties there was a central distribution system where people would get their food you would show up with a ration tickets at the store, and they would give you however much that you were due that week, depending on what they had. So their rations were actually quite uh, quite a bit higher than what normal people got. And even at times in the 90s when uh, North Korea underwent a really terrible famine, uh, they still got their food. It was um, less food than they'd been getting before and of lesser quality, but they got fed, whereas uh, people in the countryside were starving to death.
0: Why did they treat them so well?
5: Well, it's a good question. I mean, I think they, they they realized that even though their initial utility, they didn't become, as far as we know, become spies. The ultimate utility was they were bargaining chits. They were Something that might be traded away at some point, and you want to make sure that your your bargaining chip is um, is healthy and really seems healthy. Uh, in fact, right before the uh, Ducties were released, and the months before the the uh, release uh, went on, they uh, they sort of were essentially fattening them up. They were uh, giving them more food. They were letting them live freer lives. They were trying to sort of make them look uh, and act as healthy as possible. Um, but that's why they took they took care of them. I think they, they saw them as an asset um, to, to be used in some, some point in the future.
0: But of course, it is not known for sure how David has been living all of these years. Even if he has been living in something like an invitation-only zone, it's difficult to imagine all that he's gone through and the suffering that he has experienced. Both James and George expressed this.
1: I want David to be to be free to live how he wants to live. And I suspect if he does have a Korean wife, and by now he's, um, you know, mostly Korean in many ways, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he decides to, you know, put up shop in South Korea and just live his life out. If that makes him happy and he can live and do and worship as he pleases, I will be happy for him. Um, you know, he's had a hell of a past 12, 15 years, and so he should deserve that option. He has children and a family. He's just going to want to live peaceably and have the freedom to make choices that he, he wants to make on his own.
3: I can only imagine that it's been pretty awful. There's probably some cushy treatment for those who are closest to, you know, um, Kim Jong Un. Uh, but heaven knows what kind of, you know, David could be in a gulag, which would be horrible. David could be living it up, but just super depressed, you know, that he's not with this family. David could be brainwashed and things could be hunky dory deep down. I want to believe that things have been really great for David because I care for the guy and he was good. Whatever happened to him, he didn't deserve it. He, Dave's had some really rough times in the last 13 years and I know his family has. If that is true, if he is a father and a husband, I have a really rough time believing that David would leave his wife and children. He's a good man. And, you know, not flawless, you know, but he's good. And I have a very hard time believing that he would get that desperate, that he would try and make an escape. And at what cost would he make that escape, you know? So I think that the only good ending for David specifically is going to be a trade or it's going to be after North Korea has crumbled in one fashion or another, David
1: will still be alive.
0: For the Snedden family, there's concrete evidence and testimony that David is in fact alive in North Korea. And it's based on all of the evidence that we've presented here today. And of course, they have more. Um, You can find that detailed on their website, helpfinddavid.com. They make a pretty convincing case especially if Mr. Choi is credible. James made it clear that his family is not going to give up on David. Which brings us to part three. If David is in North Korea, how do we get him home?
1: Uh, God only knows. You know, I I don't think for one minute the U.S. government is going to recognize that, even if they can prove it out, because it complicates things too much. It, it, you think of the mess that creates if you have an, a, 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 an American citizen being held by, you know, in my opinion, that derelict Kim Jong Un. I mean, it's just it's just craziness. So he's despotic, he's dangerous, and everyone knows this. But how do you? What do you do? How do you extract an American? It's probably one of his biggest negotiating chips that he has. um So I I don't know. I don't know that we are ever going to do anything. Most of the things that have happened thus far, from our perspective, are our blessings, our divine providence, our God's hand, that we've actually done very little, you know. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we did take the trek, but we didn't know where to go. We got help. And all these things along the path, Chuck Downs came to us. Well, how did that happen? There's a whole, you know, all these interesting backstories for how these things happened. I don't know that we're ever going to be able to effectuate his return. But I think something else will, and it'll be a blessing from, from God, and, and, and we'll move forward.
0: Since the very beginning, the Sneddens have attempted to get the State Department to officially investigate the evidence which they detailed in their executive report. They sent that to both the US State Department and China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs after their trip to China in 2004. The Sneddens have outlined their interactions with the State Department in a document on their website called US State Department From Valiance to Valium. As the title of this document might suggest, there was initial movement in David's case involving U.S. authorities. They got early help from the U.S. Embassy in China and the then U.S. Ambassador to China, a man named Clark T. Rant. According to the document though, China was uncooperative from basically the beginning. They refused to hand over records and chose to withhold findings of their investigation, including the hostile registries from the places where David stayed. Even though U.S. Ambassador Rant considered the Sneddon's executive report, quote, credible and worthy of immediate serious investigation, end quote, and even though he went to the area that David went missing himself to urge action with local officials in 2005, soon after, things began to stall on the U.S. side. Around this time, the U.S. State Department begins to deny the Sneddens information, citing privacy, that they couldn't reveal information in David's case without David's permission, which the Snedden family describes as a loophole in privacy legislation. The State Department then classifies certain documents in David's case and makes the Snedden family write Freedom of Information Act requests to gain access to this information the US State Department continued to assert that it is more likely that David died while hiking in the Tiger Leaping Gorge, despite all the evidence, including what we have presented here today, as being circumstantial and unverifiable. After Choi's statement that David was in fact alive and in North Korea in September of 2016, the denials continued further from both the United States and North Korea. On September 1st, just after the Choi report, the then State Department spokesperson John Kirby also denied that there was any credible evidence that David was in North Korea.
1: I cannot speculate uh, for the, uh, uh, the reasons of his disappearance. Uh, however, I can tell you that we have seen no verifiable evidence to indicate that Mr. Snedden was abducted by North Korean officials.
0: According to an October 8th article from the site KCNA Watch, which reports on North Korean media, a spokesman for the foreign ministry of the DPRK, which is North Korea, stated that, quote, the U.S. has now become groundlessly vocal about the abduction of the American by North Korea. This is just a plot hatched by the Obama group destined to sink like the setting sun due to the total bankruptcy in its hostile policy toward the DPRK to dramatize the non-existent human rights issue of the DPRK and tarnish its international image. We flatly deny and categorically reject this far-fetched assertion as a swindle which does not even deserve a passing note. End quote. When I asked Greg about this article, he said that this website in particular is a known source for news coming out of North Korea.
2: Honestly, I think that the State Department, and, and, and I know that the Sneddon family will disagree with what I'm just about to say. Um, my, I really think that the State Department tried. They, they just couldn't find any additional evidence. And I, I'm not sure that the State Department actually has the uh, the ability to, to conduct this type of investigation. I think that other agencies should be involved. I think that perhaps intelligence agencies should be involved in this activity. Honestly, I think that the State Department simply didn't have the, the, the know-how and the resources to go beyond what they've already done. And congressional action is always helpful, of course, if Action is mandated by Congress. It carries more weight.
0: Since there has been a lack of action from the State Department, despite all of the evidence, Congress has taken steps to try and help in David Snedden's case. Two congressmen, Senator Mike Lee and Representative Chris Stewart, both from Utah, have introduced resolutions in both the House and Senate addressing David's disappearance within the last year. Representative Stewart introduced his resolution in the House on September 28, 2016. We were lucky enough to speak with Representative Stewart about his efforts.
3: Can you give me a little bit of overview about the Resolution 891 that you sponsored in the House, uh, specifically regarding David Snedden?
4: Yeah, uh, it just encourages and uh, and requires the State Department and also the Intelligence uh, Committee or community as best as they can to provide information uh, that they might have regarding David Snedden, his disappearance, any information of his whereabouts, if they have any. Part of the point of the resolution was just to keep pressure on and to keep the public opinion, uh, let them know and keep them focused that we have someone here, a young man, uh, who we think it, it's possible has been taken by North Koreans uh, against his will, is being held there against his will. And we just want to know, is, is that is that true? And if that's true, we want to bring him home. If it's not true, then we want to be able to tell that to the family so that they can have some closure. And plus, there's a personal... Um, a connection as well. And that is my son, my oldest son, served a an LDS mission or a Mormon mission in Korea. He was there for two years. And one of his teachers at the Language Training Center before he left was David Sneddon. So they became friends and they kept in contact. And <clears throat> I remember Sean, my son, calling me one day and saying, hey, David is missing in China. And his family is, you know, very distraught and they they don't know where he is. And that I kind of began my involvement, but many years passed, and it wasn't until a few years ago when I was in Congress that we reached out to the family and, and realized that, you know, they hadn't had a resolution on this and, and offered to help and to do everything we could to, as, as I said earlier, just to bring some resolution to them if we could. So there's no question that the North Koreans have done that to the Japanese and in some cases a few Europeans. And, and we fear, uh, you know, in this case, it might have happened to David Snedden.
0: Since Representative Stewart introduced the bill, there has been a change in administration which he believes will help to move the David Sneddon case forward.
4: Part of it is just with every new administration you have a, a chance to start over and new personnel, new priorities, uh, you know, new relationships are being built. Part of it is that this administration is just viewed more seriously by Kim Jong-un and the North Koreans than was the previous administration. and. And we know that from the work that we're doing in trying to uh, stop them from developing nuclear-tipped ICBM missiles. And there's evidence, as I said, that they take this administration a little bit more seriously. And we hope, if that's the case, that the North Koreans might be more responsive in some some of our inquiries to them. If we begin to engage North Korea in ways that we haven't over the last, not just previous administration, it goes back quite a long ways. But if we haven't had engagement with them, and that, frankly, just thumb their nose towards the Americans, you know, and, and have been willing to focus in the eye even. And if we can convince them that we're we're serious about stopping the nuclear program, and that opens a dialogue, because in order for us to stop them, it is going to have to be through dialogue and through some pressure exerted, I think we can tie some of these other issues with that. Uh, for example, you know, as you know, the North Koreans are holding some other uh, citizens that have U.S. citizenship as well. Uh, and I think we couldn't we couldn't have those conversations about their nuclear program without talking about some of these other U.S. citizens. And hopefully we can put David in with that mix.
0: Greg pointed out that the new administration's relationship with China may also help the David Snedden case.
2: We seem to be leaning a lot on China. Well... Perhaps while leaning on China at some point, we, we will have the opportunity to um, ask for help in, uh, in bringing some clarity to this case. The Chinese authorities might not know exactly what happened, but again, there is only one unexplained disappearance of an American citizen traveling in China, and that was David Sneddon. And that didn't happen in the 19th century. That happened in 2004. I do hope that we will have an opportunity to ask the Chinese authorities to help clarify.
0: Robert Boynton also described how the recent nuclear tension between the U.S. and North Korea may provide us with a bargaining chip of sorts, much as Japan had when their abductees were returned.
5: I think the discussion with North Korea has been so exclusively focused on nuclear weapons and their nuclear program that these other issues have really fallen by the wayside. Uh, for um, Japan's discussion with North Korea, they said, hey, before we can have any discussions towards normalizing relations, you have to come clean about what happened to these people. That was, that was the demand. Japan was in an interesting position because it has traditionally left the negotiations of uh, having to do with nuclear weapons up to the United States uh so they they could focus on that. I think it would be difficult for the United States to say, "You know, uh look, uh we want to talk about nuclear weapons, but first, we got to figure out about this guy sned and did did you take him or not? whether you could bundle uh some sort of uh, investigation in with that is is unclear but um uh, I mean, it's certainly possible, uh, but I think that the North Koreans are very wary having been burned uh, by these negotiations before. I, I, I'm not sure what it would take to get them to engage in them again.
0: The most recent movement on this issue happened in the Senate in March of 2017 when Senator Mike Lee introduced his own resolution, which passed the Senate and has been referred to the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. While these actions are a great help, there is still more that you can do. To help the Snowden cause in Congress,
4: the, the truth is, is that citizens talking to their representative or their senators can have an influence. And uh, you know, when we reintroduce the bill, which we'll be doing shortly, then if you know, for them to say, "Hey, I know there's this this potential of a, a young man from Utah who may be held by North Koreans," would you look into that? That helps a lot uh, with uh, fellow members of Congress in the Senate when they know that folks back home are interested in a and would be appreciative of them moving and helping us on that. So we would always ask people just to reach out to their representatives and to, and help uh, help them be aware of that we've got a, a problem here, we're trying to help.
1: Petition your, your representatives, your congressmen, your senators, as a congress has passed the bill that needs to pass in the House, and then it becomes a full-blown resolution that's supposed to obligate the federal government to take measures. Um, anything you can do to reach out and say, hey, this is real, this is legitimate
3: as you pay more attention to this story, it gets more listeners, it gets more readers. And as it gets more readers and listeners, it becomes a, a mainstream understanding and not just a star raving mad theory. It's finally coming out of that point. Like, you know, a year ago it was just ranting or, you know, so it would have seemed to anybody on the outside. What I would love to see, and this is where an audience can have an impact is that people believe that there is relevance. And once that happens, they're making a huge difference and they're certainly making a difference in the, in the lives of the Sneddens, who I think have felt very alone. I can only, I can only guess that they have felt at times like everybody just thinks they're nuts. And, but I've never thought that they were nuts. And I've always been blown away by their stalwart um, determination to find their son. And that goes to the credit of every person who has ever lost someone, who doesn't know what in the world happened. It shows how resilient the human spirit
1: is.
0: The Sneddens urge you to contact your representatives about David's case. This shows them that their constituents care about this story and want to see something done. Over at helpfinddavid.com, they have an entire section on how you can help by contacting members of Congress. The more pressure Congress feels, the more likely action will be taken in his case. You can also find links at our website, thinairpodcast.com.
4: It would be a fresh impetus for the State Department and, as I said, for the intelligence community as a whole to go back and take a fresh look, to go back and ask more questions, to go back and prod in ways that we maybe haven't prodded before. And, uh, and look, I don't know if David is alive, and, and my heart goes out to his family. Can you imagine uh, the uncertainty? And, and frankly, you know, both of the, both of the options before them are, are terrible options, either that he actually passed away and they lost their young, their young son and, and their brother, or that he's being held against his will. But if, that is, if it is the second case, and if there's any chance at all that he's alive, and there's, if there's any chance at all that we can bring him home, we just have to pursue that. And, uh, and, you know, this is the first step in trying to do that. And if it turns out that he's not, and, you know, then then God bless the family. And, and I know that they will mourn for that, but at least then they'll know.
1: It's certainly a, a gap. You know, you fill it in the holidays. It's been a long time now, so I suppose... Um, some of that is dulled, if you will. You never forget, but you know you go long enough with that present, a presence. It's it becomes different. Um, but I have a younger sister. Now you're going to get me emotional, so I have to be careful here. Um, who talks about David being her playmate, and it, she misses him terribly every day because she has none of the brothers that she grew up with anymore, and it's very hard on her she still has his phone number and his phone from the time he went to China. You know? So, um, it's been hard. And, And my mother, my mother still cries at night sometimes and she still misses her son. That never goes away.
0: David Snedden went missing in Yunnan province in Shangri-La, China, on or around August 14, 2004. He was 24 years old. At the time he went missing, he had short light brown hair and was possibly carrying a small fanny pack. His family does not believe he died in the gorge where he went hiking, but was taken against his will, likely by North Korean agents. You can help by urging your representatives to take action and letting them know that you care about this issue. The Snedden family deserves closure. Go to helpfinddavid.com for more information on how to contact your representatives, talking points about David's case, and more. We would like to thank George Bailey, James Snedden, Greg Scarlattiu, Robert Boynton, and Representative Chris Stewart for speaking with us for today's episode. And for their attention and care in the David Sneddon story. Check out our website for more information, including links to all of the materials we have discussed here today. That's thinairpodcast.com. Music today was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. To hear more from them, head over to sessions.blue. Thank you so much for listening today. We'll be back with a new episode in two weeks.